You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Oklahoma, where the wind, whatever that song is. Today's episode's about Oklahoma. Uh, it's a Hunter Profile podcast. We're going to be talking with Garrick Harrison. I think he's been on the podcast a couple times before. The dude runs into big deer every year. Uh, he's from a state that some may say is a sleeper state, but I don't think there's anything as a sleeper state anymore in the whitetail uh, world. I mean, Oklahoma, with th- their generous... Uh, their generous, how do I put this, uh, tag allocations makes it real easy for residents and non-residents alike to go out and shoot a really good, you know, good deer every year, uh, along with the habitat. Uh, some of that has to do with management. Some of that has to do with the terrain. You know, they, they live in these environments from what I'm guessing is, how do I put this, uh, environments where they can go undetected in certain areas maybe it's a population thing a hunter pressure population thing um and maybe there's not as many hunters in some of these states maybe uh they live in environments where people just aren't willing to go the extra mile or or they overlook a property and say hey there's no deer here but there is deer there could be one of many things and uh, we talked to Garrick about that today, man. Really, really fun conversation with him. We talk about uh, rules and regulations in Oklahoma. We talk about pl- public versus private. We talk about using feeders and baiting in the state. Uh, we talk about the ability to use your tag in Oklahoma, either on a whitetail or uh, a mule deer, depending on what part of the state you're in. And it's just a really fun conversation with a, another serious hunter. Right, and I love having conversations with this. Uh, he, we get we. This is a detailed podcast, man. We we talk in detail about some of these topics, and hopefully, you guys enjoy it. All right. Um, I still have not sighted in my muzzleloader, and I definitely need to. F- finally, my family is getting off of. Uh, man, what? Getting getting away from being sick. 
This is no joke. My son, I don't know if I said this in the other podcast. I can't, like all of my time is just mushed into one like foggy memory. Uh, but my my son this past weekend threw up in his sleep, rolled in it. Then he decided I'm going to fall back asleep in my own puke. The vomit got into his ear, which caused him to get an ear infection. And now he's on ear infection medication. Uh, <laughs> like, dude, nobody told me. I wish my dad would have told me years ago when I was younger or my mom uh, warned me about the amount of feces and vomit that that, that a parent is going to have to deal with within the the time span of like a child's life. Now you times that by three or however many kids you have and it's just truckloads of barf and truckloads of shit, right? I can remember my very first experience outside of the hospital. This is no joke. If for those of you who know, you know. For those of you who don't, if someday you have kids, you'll you'll learn this. But the the first couple bowel movements that a baby has are of umbil- umbilical fluid type stuff that is in their stomach from being uh, in the mother's womb. And it's black and it's tarry and it's just sticky and disgusting. Well, I laid my daughter down and she had a little bit of a, a wet diaper and she hadn't pooped yet. I took her diaper off. I threw it in the trash and rule number one mistake in parenting was made that day and that was never leave your baby a brand new baby without a diaper on so I I was turning my back put the diaper in the the dirty diaper trash can or whatever it is and I hear this what sounded like someone throwing a sloppy joe against a wall she shit this black tar substance across the wall over a, a, on the wall over a three foot span and this is this is a eight pound baby an eight pound baby power pooped black tar across an entire wall it stained the wall and later the, a couple months later I had to repaint an entire wall because my daughter pooped on the wall so <laughs> this has nothing to do with deer hunting. It's just, this is, this is my life, right? This is, this is life in it for all of us. And so I love, I love talking about things like this. I think what I want to do is I want to have a, a I want to do a podcast with somebody. I don't want to do it by myself, but it would be awesome to have another dad, uh, and we we're both hunters but we don't talk about hunting at all and so i feel like that would be a really interested uh really interesting podcast maybe you'd like it maybe you won't i don't know let's uh maybe we brainstorm about it let's brainstorm about it okay um today we gotta do some commercials i really first off i just want to say thank you to each and every one of you who takes time out of your day to download and listen to the uh, unprofessional unprofessional anyway it is time to do the commercials thank you very much uh tethered if you're looking for a saddle saddle hunting accessories go check out tethered dude um there are huge benefits 
to using a saddle, not only for the ultra mobile crew, but the tree stand hunter as well. And uh, you'll, you've, you've heard me talk about that. So uh, tetherednation.com, wasp archery, one of my favorite heads in creation of broadheads. That didn't make sense, but I love wasp, dude. Uh, fixed and mechanicals. Most of their heads are still manufactured in, in the United States. And with that comes a little bit of an uptick in quality and materials. So wasparchery.com, discount code NFC20, Vortex Optics. I don't need to say much about that. These guys have been doing it right for a very long time. Huge fan of the products and the people of that company. Uh, and uh, go check out the Triumph HD new new binos and then they also have a brand new tripod this year it's very light uh, i used it this year when i went out west it's uh, amazing no like no problems with it and then also a kid's pair of binoculars that uh, they've introduced this year so if you're looking for maybe a christmas present or looking for um, just a, a really cool product to get your kids that might get them excited about the outdoors. You definitely need to go check out that uh, Vortex binoculars. Code Blue Sense. These guys are crushing it over there at Code Blue. Um, if you have never messed around with mock scrapes, I strongly suggest you do that. Uh, I, I am still amazed by the amount of deer that have came to a mox or rope-a-dope system with the preorbital glands scent that I've rubbed on it and the amount of deer that come over, investigate it. They may not make a scrape, but they're, they investigate it and the deer not only come up to it, but I put a trail camera in front of it and now I get inventory of all the deer. And I'm not talking about just bucks, all deer come to investigate it so uh codebluesense.com discount code nfc20 and that's going to get you 20 percent off woodman's pal another awesome christmas gift for any serious outdoorsman uh, because i can see this tool also being used um, for trappers I can see it being used for uh, anybody who does property management. I can see it um, in the pack of hunters, uh, on in your side-by-side, -side, in your truck. Anytime you need a sharp tool to hack shit, Woodman's Pal is there for you. So woodmanspal.com, go check it out. The American-made product, been around since the 40s, very high quality. And what's the last one? Huntworth. Dude, my opinion, one of the best and most affordable layering systems for hunting camo clothing on the market. And so uh, you definitely got to go check out huntworthgear.com. These guys are crushing it with their their late season stuff that's coming up. I mean, the, the heat boost technology is killer. Uh, my late season, my, my late season layout is going to be all Huntworth. And dude, I love their base layers. I love their mid, their insulation layers, their heat boost technology. You got to go check it out. And uh, last but not least, dude, we are selling, dude, be a part of this. And I want all of you to listen to me that I want to thank you seriously a lot. I can't even talk today, but thank you for all of you who have supported the uh, Nine Finger Chronicles. Thank you for all of those people who have supported the the introduction of full sneak gear, the new uh, 
t-shirt company, apparel company that I'm started. Um, thank you for being patient as I as I'm building this company, starting starting it up. Uh, I'm trying to get all the orders out by Christmas. I'm hoping that that happens. But um, if you want to support me, go to fullsneakgear.com. You know, instead of making a you know a Patreon page, go go support Full Sneak Gear uh, at fullsneakgear.com and uh, buy a T-shirt, buy a hat buy a stocking cap and uh man take advantage of some i mean i think these t-shirts are kick-ass i have more uh t-shirts and hoodie ideas and hats uh coming down the pipe so go out and uh buy buy that stuff that supports me and then i can get you some awesome quality uh gear uh, to you as well so fullsneakgear.com it's badass, dude. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm not picking shit T-shirts. I have handpicked every single p- garment um, of the highest quality, and it's the kind of T-shirts where you know it makes you look good in a T-shirt. You know, it's not tight around the waist. It's not tight in the gut. It's. It's. You know, maybe a little fit. You know, athletic around the shoulders and chest, but then it kind of goes straight down. And dude, I. I look good in it. You look good in it fullsneakgear.com. Anyway, all right, too much talking. Let's get into today's episode all the way from Oklahoma. It's a Hunter Profile podcast. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you on the back end. Three, two, one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles. I'm your host, Dan Johnson. And today, all the way from Oklahoma, Mr. Garrick Harrison. How you doing, man? Doing good. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Uh, you you connected on a good deer this year, it looks like. Absolutely, yeah. Last The last day of the Oklahoma raffle season. All right. Perfect, perfect. All right, and so basically what we're going to do today is we're going to do kind of a little bit of a hunter profile on you. We're going to talk about where you hunt, how you hunt, uh, things that you've seen uh, out, you know, out in the field, uh, deer, how they act, things like that. Just a, a BS conversation like we always do. But before we get into that, what do you do for a living? So I work for Delisi Bros, a concrete company here that originated in Oklahoma. Okay. Um, I've been doing that. That's kind of a new career path for me. Um, but I do have a background of aggregate uh, working in quarries and things like that. Um, so kind of move forward with doing stuff with Delisi with concrete, um, try to make me a, build me a future there. And Gotcha. Gotcha. And when, when you say concrete, are you the guy laying it or are you selling it or what, what's your I'm role? The salesman. I'm the salesman. I'm the manager over, uh, in my hometown here. And then a little sub town here, Sulphur Davis. Yeah. Um, so kind of do a little of everything. Yeah, man. I'll tell you one of the jobs that I had, uh, back in the day, like 20 years ago, there was a period of time where we would lay uh, corn crib or, or uh, grain bin foundations, so big circles uh, of yeah. concrete. And then uh, they had, you know, they had to put the drain in, in the bottom of it in order to get the corn, the auger down in there and the corn would come out or soybeans or whatever the grain was. And trying to level with the giant board right in the center level that 50 foot wide circle it just was exhausting especially in august when the humidity is like a hundred percent 
hundred percent. Yeah. Dude, it'll set up very quick. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, that's why these days, even though I have concrete experience, like, you know, laying it and try most, mostly what I did was finishing work. So I would do the troweling and, and put the edge on things. I guess I was good at it. So they made me do that part of it, but I still hire it out every time I need concrete work done because yeah. I, your back and knees hurt every time. When you <laughs> well, my back and knees uh, hurt every single day anyway. So that's probably why my back and knees hurt is from years Absolutely. of doing that kind of, that kind of labor. Absolutely. Yep. I slipped away today for a big tour. We had a day for uh, almost 300 yards today just to come do this with you. So yeah. Dang. That's a lot of concrete. That's a lot of concrete. Um, <laughs> all right. Concrete, your job, does it allow you to have a flexible schedule and, and get out and hunt? Absolutely. So kind of a backstory of that. I, right before I did this, I actually worked for a Ford dealership. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, previously on the podcast, that's where I was currently working. I worked there for almost five years in the service department there. Loved it. Had pretty good flexibility there to be able to hunt. Um, did have to work some weekends. With this new job opportunity that I have here with Elise, um, I will have more flexibility to be able to hunt and fish and do things like that. So yeah, um, I look forward to that. Yeah. I'll tell you this, man. I had a job in my early 20s, and I said to them, okay, like, here's my passion. I love to hunt. Um, I love to fish. I love to, you know, go do that, and I can only do that certain times a year. Uh, Are you okay with me taking all my vacation within a short period of time? And they're like, oh, yeah, absolutely. But then I get in the door, and they started rejecting some of those uh, – vacation requests and i did not last that long at that job because like dude i just i'm not i'm not gonna miss any deer seasons dude yeah Yeah. absolutely you know uh this year you know so me and my wife have been together for going on five years together buried for four and uh she kind of knows october rolls around the uh pictures and the outings kind of they kind of go down, go down, you know, <laughs> and killing that deer. Like I did the last day of deer, the last day of rifle season. Yeah. She's like, Oh my gosh, you owe me. You're taking me out. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, let's see here. Oklahoma born and raised. Yes, sir. Okay. Gotcha. And so, you know, I hear good things and I'm going to like about the state of Oklahoma and just the abundance of wildlife that they have there. Not only, not only whitetails, but you go out west, they have mule deer uh, there as well. Um, you know, I've, I've heard that the fishing can be really good in certain pockets. But, you know, when, it, when anybody, anybody talks about a certain state, especially when they don't live there, I'm going to talk about an assumption real quick, and the assumption is Iowa, right? And so everybody thinks that Iowa is this awesome state. It is in certain pockets, right? Southeastern Iowa, Southern Iowa, even Southwestern Iowa, and even Northeastern Iowa. But then we have these, this big expansive region of cropland that just doesn't hold that much deer. And if they do, they get pounded pretty hard during the, the gun seasons because it's wide open. You can drive them up into funnels, blast them, you know. And so it's only in certain pockets of the state where Iowa is that top tier 
you know, that top tier deer hunting. What's it like in Oklahoma? So kind of where I'm located, I'm kind of more South central. That's mm-hmm. where I'm at. Uh, to kind of put it, you know, in perspective, I am an hour South, a little bit East of Oklahoma city. Okay. Um, I'm two hours directly North of Dallas, Fort Worth. Okay. Okay. So for us here, it is past hay pastures and road, hardwoods. You got a few rolling hills, things like that. Um, lots of timber. Yeah. Are you, kind of, you so kind there's of so it's big timber. Yes. Okay. Lots of timber. Lots of timber. Um, as you f- move further to the west, it starts opening up. You start getting to that red dirt kind of uh, rolling canyons, things like that. Getting to a few croplands, few few crops down that way, um, but then when you really push towards that northern and northwestern part of the state, towards the Panhandle, that's where all your beans, milo, corn, um, that's where that where that really is. Okay, and so if you were to uh, just based off of your experience, you know, every year I see giants coming out of Oklahoma. What part? Yeah, yeah. It's too late, dude. It's too late, dude. The, the cat's already out of the bag about Oklahoma. What part of the state tends to have the biggest deer? So what's funny about that, it's, you see a few big deer come out of the center mm-hmm. of Oklahoma, a few, but it seems to be either far northeast or southeast Oklahoma that have some of the biggest deer you see. Okay. Um, you why, know, why is that? I think when you get up to that northeastern Oklahoma, I think you get more of a Kansas, Missouri deer. Mm-hmm. You kind of get that in the crops and things like that. Mm-hmm. When you get in the southeastern part of Oklahoma, that's kind of more of pines and kind of mountains kind of in there. Yep. <clears throat> I think those deer, there's just a more deer density there. Mm-hmm. So, and with it being like that, I don't think that a lot of the, I think the deer get to a good age there because of that. When you think of Oklahoma, if you're a resident here, you think about, you know, like Cole County. um, You think about, there's a few deer in the county that I live in. There's been some big deer. You think of Cole and think of Grady County. um, You think of things, those counties is where your majority of your big deer. Hughes County is where a few big deers come out of. Um, But that kind of, you know, there's certain counties kind of like for you, you know, you think of, you think of, uh, uh, Pike County, you know what I mean? Pike County, Illinois. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You think of things like that. There's, like you said, there's pockets of where it seems like there's big deer. Um, and like in my County, my, my County's Pontiac County. You would think of it, you know, majority of your big deer are going to come from Southern or Southeastern Pontiac County. Majority is where they have in our County. Um, just something about the genetics and things that are there that help the deer get bigger in those areas. Yeah. So what about management at that point? Cause obviously um, for the perfect example is again, Iowa where Southern part of the state uh, you're going to run into the, the farms that are heavily managed for deer hunting. Okay. And so deer get that age, they get, the big bodies they get the the which results typically in larger antler size on average and so um what's the what's the conversation like in oklahoma about 
managing properties and, and land for deer? I think this goes for more than just Oklahoma. Yeah. But what I'm going to say here is everybody sits on the couch or in their recliner. They watch Bone Collector. They watch some kind of hunting show they love watching nowadays, right? Right. I think now it is pitched so far in your head that, hey, I'm going to let that three-year-old go. I'm going to let him go to four or five. Mm-hmm. I think the management has got a lot better over the years, in my opinion, just because of that. Um but I, in Oklahoma specifically here, you know, you get two bucks. Yep. You can kill either, you can kill them both with a bow or you kill one with a muzzleloader, one with a rifle, et cetera. But you can only kill one antler deer with a firearm. Yep. Um, but you do get two tags, right? Two buck tags. So I could shoot two with a, a bow if I wanted to. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yep. Um, so we can kill, let's see, uh, five, six deer total. It is. The rest of them are does, two bucks, and then the rest of them are does. And then you have a holiday season coming up for like uh, right around Christmas, which is like an extra doe you can get to give you seven seven deer total, right? Right. Um, for management-wise, though, I, I think we have a decent management deal. There is a group that I won't say names that are pushing on, on a Facebook and other social media platforms for Oklahoma that we need to be more like Kansas and we need to go to a one deer or one, sorry, a one buck state. But that's what we need to do to go here. And they've went all the way to the Capitol building trying to get this passed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certain things that I agree that I think that'd be great because there's what, how many years do I actually fill both tags, especially when right. you're a big mature deer, right? Right. Um, but I think that that limits a person like me when I've got places going all the way from beaver county panhandle of oklahoma where i can kill mule deer and i can go all the way over here to hughes county over here by calvin and i can hunt deer there that really limits me i've got one deer i can kill one buck i can kill between that and a mule deer counts as my two buck limit so if i kill one whitetail or one mule deer that's all i can kill for the year so i I don't i don't see it i think two buck is a great um, in my years of hunting, we started out with three bucks right? and we went down to two. And I think that, you know, people bitched and moaned about going down to two, but really, to be honest, I think it was great. Now that I've, we've been in a few years, I think two bucks was actually a great call. Yeah. And, and that's the converse. It, that's a, that's a really a great point that you made, but there's way more layers than what is often talked about. It's like, Oh, don't take deer tags away from me. Right. And you guys have an extra layer of confusion because you have mule deer too. Yeah. You know what I mean? So now we're talking multi-species with the same tag. All right. Yep. Now the confusion that I see coming into is, is, Hey, we want to be like this state, but we're not that state. Right. Uh, From my understanding, Kansas is wide open. I mean, it, I mean, obviously way less trees in certain parts of the state. Um, easy to shoot a deer with a, uh, a rifle, uh, easier because there's less obstructions. Right. Um, in, in really any state, even in, um, uh, you know, when you start talking about, should we be a one buck state? Should we be a two buck state? Should we be an antler point restrictions in certain zones? Should we do this? Y- me and you, we want to shoot big mature whitetails, right? That's what this conversation is going to be about. But there's 
50%, if not more people out there who just want to hunt, right? Yeah. And they don't give a shit about antler size. They, and those people want, I mean, obviously people want bigger antler deer, right? I mean, you, you ask anybody, would you rather shoot a bigger antler deer? Yes, I would. But when it ta- when you start talking about taking away a second buck tag for them, uh, especially if they can shoot two with a bow or, you know, one with a bow, one with a gun, like we can here in Iowa. Now what you're doing is you're, you're, you're limiting people, uh, opportunities at deer. And I know that's kind of, uh, how do I put this? Cause I, I'm, you know, people have heard my conversations about certain weapons and during certain times of year and certain, you know, like crossbows and things like that. I don't consider that necessarily limiting people, but, what you're doing is you're removing, I don't know, it, it's just, it's so, it gets so complicated because every person has a, has a different, like some people just want to get out and hunt. If it's brown, it's down. Some people just want to go out, hey dude, I'm happy with a spike. And then there's others like us where, hey man, I'm, I'm going to try to get the older age class deer. So this is kind of, there's two ways to go about this, in my opinion, how I thought, I think that could be, that could actually go somewhere. So let's go to turkey hunting here in Oklahoma. Yep. We used to be a two bird, two bird limit. Okay. Two toms. Okay. Defining deal was, I think I-35 or something, or I-40. I can't remember which one it was. If you were on one side of I-40 or whatever, you could shoot two birds on that side or one bird on that side. And then if you're on this side, you can shoot two birds. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just because in the certain parts of the state, they don't have as good as hatches and things like that. Right. So now this year they've implemented now that they pushed our season back instead of April the 6th. Now it starts on April, like the 16th or some kind of crap. Right. Because of their think their theory is hunters are killing too many birds and they're not bringing enough hens when reality and that's a whole different rabbit hole there but um, to me i would say you do deer the same way why not the where you have your crop fields and things like that where it's wide open and you're getting a western or northwestern or northeastern Oklahoma? that's where you put your restrictions for your one buck and if they want to kill another one they can travel and they can go to another part of the state a different county to do that yeah um but another way to go to it to me is Let's move our rifle season. Instead of it being the freaking peak of the rut when it starts, that'll help some of those deer make it maturity-wise. Mm-hmm. We put it back another week. Yeah. Or at least a little bit. You know what I mean? It'll help some. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah dude. I mean, I've been doing this for almost 1,000 episodes, and there's nobody that is ever truly happy with their state rules and regulations. And so it, it, it just gets, oh man, I, I, you know, if I was in charge, I'd do it a different way. But if I was in charge, I'd also piss a lot of people off. Right. Um, yeah. but the people who should ultimately be making the decision in my opinion is the department of natural resources, because they are the people who have the most data. Right. And yeah. data is, more like, yeah, yeah. And data should be what's dr- driving rules and regulations. So, I don't know. Somebody I'm sure will know in the comments when I get to this, reach out, let me know the deal, but I haven't researched it anymore. I know it came out as a hot topic before deer season started this year. I want to say in July, it passed the first tier that we're in. Hopefully in 2024, we will have a velvet 
season. Okay. Uh, for archery. <clears throat> for me, oh my gosh. And you probably for you as well. How many times in velvet right there in part, first part of September have you had a deer every freaking day? Oh, yeah. Coming like clockwork with mm. velvet on. And you can just like, all you got to do is go out there and be, oh, I need to be in the stand about 6.15. You'll run about 6.30, you know, yeah. right? Because they're so hard on the feed pattern that time uh, that you could kill one at that time. I'm very excited for that, especially with a bow. I've always wanted to kill a velvet deer. Yeah. Um, but I hope that it passes and it comes through. Is that then going to count as your archery buck for the year or it will be an individual? Yeah. I wouldn't mind if Iowa did something like that where for residents only, uh, it was a special season, maybe once every, once every five years or something like that. Right. Not every year, but once every, you'd be willing to give up your archery tag for this archery velvet um, period, mm-hmm. or you can also use a muzzle loader, and that would that would also count as your firearm. Your your firearm. So kind of what I read uh, on that, how it's going to work. Some are some something that's going to go along the lines of um, private. It's going to be for like a draw type thing. Yep. For people that hunt private lands, that can draw for it, put in for a draw, and they're going to give so many tags out. And it's only going to be for residents of Oklahoma, no non-residents yeah. from way, the way I read it, yeah. which I think that's great because no offense to this, but we have been got in the last few years, heavily bombarded with Louisiana and Texas people in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. leasing up land like crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they come here and, you know, they, they, you know how it starts. Oh, well, there's big deer here. And then kind of the same way, you know, with all the TV shows that's come here now, letting the cat out of the bag with all the big deer we have. Yeah. Yep, dude. That same thing with Southern Iowa. Really what it's coming down to is Illinois has gone through this. Wisconsin has gone through this. Uh, any place with good deer hunting, it, money is talking and walking in those states, right? Uh, I want I want land. Got, in order to buy land, you got to have really good money especially in southern iowa or any any place in iowa land prices are so expensive then you say well i want to lease this ground and so now when the there's there's in my opinion there's this disconnect from my grandfather and my father's generation to my generation where it's like they're they they just want the profit as opposed to i can remember a conversation I had with one of my best friend's grandfathers, uh, a, a major company, this is no joke, sh- uh, hunting company, came up to his door in eastern, southeastern Iowa with a briefcase of money, thinking that this was going to influence him to sell to them. And they showed him the money and they said, we'll buy your property for you right now. And this is like, this would have been in the late nineties, somewhere around there. And he goes, so are you going to farm it? Like, uh, like, are, are you going to move to this area and things like that? And the guy was like, no, we're going to come here to hunt it every year. We're going to manage it for deer. And so basically what he, what my buddy's grandpa heard was we're going to kick off all the locals. We're not going to farm it for ag, which means you're kicking off the, the farmer who cash rents it. or or things like that you know and so that like that generation's gone and then now you have people who are like well if i can make a dollar off of this i'm gonna make a dollar off of it 
which no offense, no offense to them. Times are tough right now. And anytime you want to, uh, like money, man, you just need more of it these days. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Times are definitely tough. Yeah. Let me, that was a rant by me, by the way, I apologize for that. Uh, (laughs) let me talk. I want to talk to you about non-residents in Oklahoma because I can, I can, what interests me about going to Oklahoma is that I can go and I, as a non-resident, I'm guaranteed a tag. It's over the counter, and I can get two of them, just like you. So there's really no distinction between resident and non-resident. What are your thoughts on that? So I know it helps our department mm-hmm. of wildlife, mm-hmm. you know, with doing that because we get a lot of non-resident sales. But I think they almost give them away for the price that they are. So take, for example, if I, because I go to Colorado every year and I draw for the unit that I go for, just take the draw out of, out of the equation. It still costs me almost $800 to go to Colorado for an elk tag. It costs me 400 something for a mule deer tag, right? Um, I think Oklahoma needs to up the price. That will weed a few of the people out, the non-resident people from coming here for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't have a problem with non-resident people coming here. You know, that's just fine. If you got a good place to hunt, go ahead. Um, as long as you're my neighbor and you're managing good. <laughs> <laughs> if not, stay out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, I don't have a problem with non-residents. I, I think that I do think that we should do like some states where they have to shoot a doe first. Mm-hmm. I feel that way. Because they pound it on us. We need to shoot more does, more does, more does. Well, the only way to force somebody, the one person you can force to shoot a doe, is your non-residents. Yeah. Because you can't shoot a buck until you shoot that shoot a doe. Yeah. That's my only way. I I think that is such a great idea that's not implemented. Because there was a a while there where uh, Wisconsin had an earn a buck. Right? You had to shoot a doe to get your buck tag. Even I think even residents had to do that. Dude, I'm I'm such a huge supporter of that, especially in counties where there's you know basically endless doe tags. There are certain counties in Iowa that I can't get, I can't get a tag. But then there's other counties uh, where I can't get a doe tag. But there's other counties in Iowa where if I wanted to go back and get 50 doe tags, I could go shoot 50 does. Yep. So. Yep. 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 Um, interesting. What's the public land scenario like in uh, Oklahoma? So to give you just a brief deal, I haven't spent a ton of time on public land here in Oklahoma. The majority of public land that I've spent on has been some here not too far from my house. And I haven't really spent a lot of time necessarily during deer season. I've been on there for duck season. Um. But the little bit of deer hunting that I have has been towards the panhandle. Yep. Um, so I have went during the muzzleloader season. So the WMA that I go there is a bow only, muzzleloader only in a certain section. And then you have a draw for another section. They only put 10 tags in this one section. And then for rifle hunting, it's draw only. No rifles at all. Only, I think it's 10 tags total for the whole place. Mm-hmm. Um I've went opening week of muzzleloader, and it's freaking nuts. Looks like a pumpkin party everywhere. 
Um, and then I went last weekend of muzzleloader, and I might see six guys on the whole 4,000 acres or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I will tell you this, since the word we don't like hearing, COVID, yeah, it has definitely influenced the number of people in the outdoors. Um, I know just I didn't hunt it the last two years just because I've had private property there to hunt. Yep. Um, but I've talked to the biologists and a few friends that has went up there and hunted the, the hunted it. Mm-hmm. The number of people has got grown yep. a lot. Yep. I could tell just fishing wise too, going to the lake with going to the boat. There's just there's more people. Yeah. You know, on the lake. Yeah. And that's a good thing. In a way. Uh-huh. I mean, getting people out in the outdoors, that's ultimately what we want, I think. I think. Yeah. Uh, but the same, I, dude, I've seen it everywhere, too. Public land in Iowa, uh, public land in South Dakota, public land in Nebraska. Before COVID, man, I was the only person out in some of these spots. After COVID, or during COVID and after COVID, com- yeah, more just more people uh i and yeah. and that's that's great right and that's just hey we need to be outside more and that's great uh, i think right I, I think which means i think so yeah and we, i th- we, we gripe we're griping we're on the lake when we're getting bombarded by jet skis and party boats and pontoons when you're trying to bass fish up there on a daggum brush pole and 15 yep. foot of water but you know in reality you don't want your kids sitting at home playing video games the whole time being right. on the couch you want them outside playing. You want them outside doing things. Yeah, that's a fact. Think of the big picture, not just a small picture. Yep, that's a fact. Which brings me to the topic of the amount of public. And uh, does uh, public, let's talk about public, and let's talk about does Oklahoma have a walk-in program where farmers can say, hey, I'm going to put my property up as walk-in, and you can come hunt it. They do. It's called it's called OLAP here, okay. Oklahoma Land Access Program. Okay. Um, there is there's not much of it in my part of the area, but if you go to where I just killed that big deer in the last part of rifle, there there was tons of that. Matter of fact, the land right next across the county road from where I killed is was planted in hay grazer this year for bird hunters, for like your dove hunters and all that. And it's OLAP land. There's a lot. There's quite a bit of land up there that, that farmers put in put in for for OLAP for access to people to hunt. Of course, it's bow and shotgun only. Yep. On those places, um, there's plenty of public land though, man. I mean, plenty of it. Um, there's obviously parts that are more sought at than other, just because of the antler size of the deer that mm. they know it's been taken off there. Um, but usually those places for residents or non-residents, if you want to apply, uh, those are draw usually yeah. for those places. Um, but they do have places with those that where you can just go in and hunt with a bow. Yeah. Uh, so. Public land, uh, that, that kind of mixing this conversation in the, in the past conversation that we had, really I, I feel like access is the key word. And I feel as private land continues to be sold and, and again, Iowa is the example here. Western Illinois is the example here. Permission on private property has gone down, right? And anytime you buy a piece of land just for hunting, I'm not saying every time, but majority of the time, for example, 
if I bought the farm that I've had permission on for the last 15, 20 years, if I buy it, I'm going to, I hate to say it, but I'm going to be kicking people off of it who currently have access to it, right? Mm-hmm. So there's there would be displacement. They would have to go somewhere else to hunt or they would not hunt, right? Um, so I, that's happened to me, a, I, mean, I feel like a hundred times where I've got, you know, the, the landowner passed away, the kids sold it, the, the, someone came in, said no hunting because uh, I'm going to hunt it. And so what we have here is all this displacement, which leads me to the point I'm trying to make. And I, you know, anytime we start talking about, uh, do we want more hunters or not? I think the question is, do we have enough access to sustain the number of hunters that we have? Because anytime we start to like deer management, I love it. You know, I love passing small deer, but it's not realistic in the, in my opinion, it's not realistic in this. Let's everybody hunt. Everybody needs to hunt. Let's bring more people into the, the hunting space. The more people, means we have to have a either a bigger deer population or we have to be okay with shooting smaller age class deer and so Mm -hmm. again that's just a another rant for me (laughs) sorry i got sidetracked because uh my cell camera is going off and uh there is a pretty good one that is at the feeder right now right now so are you gonna leave (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, 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 I, uh, I'm not, but I, I thought it was kind of surprising yeah. with it being the time that it is. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, how you hunt, where you hunt. Um, you meant, you kind of mentioned that a majority of the ground that you hunt is private, correct? Mm-hmm. Right. So talk to us a little bit about the terrain. You've kind of, did you mention already that it's big woods? Yes, here. Yes. Okay, here. And so, uh, would you consider this your main farm that you spend most most of your time on? Yes. So I have several little patches here and there, yep. or in in my county where I where I hunt at. Kind of back where you're talking about public land access. I kind of so when I was uh, younger, I hunted a place um, south of here, not very far. 640 acres and i had it all to myself i actually grew up there i killed my first deer there i was you know seven eight years old um i grew up there i know i there's not one part of that property that i don't know right and kind of my hunting influence randy uh one of them he told me he's like one day you won't have it Mm -hmm. so one day well he was right about three years ago four years three years ago um farmer comes to me and he goes hey I'm going to let you hunt in here. He said, but you hunt on the south side. We're going to split this east-west fence. You have the south section. I'm leasing the north section to some Louisiana guys. Yeah. And I was like, son of a gun, right? Matter of fact, that's where this deer come from here. We had, I, My first podcast with you, that's where that deer come from. Oh, okay. Up. All right. Um, that's what deer killed in 17. Anyway, I hunted that place forever. And I had a lot of great deer on that place. A lot of deer that I had passed that had grown. Um, so I had a group of Louisiana guys come in and they were brown us down type people. Mm-hmm. That place now has went to another group of four great Louisiana people that are on there. Three guys, they only bow hunt only they're managed minded. 
Um, but dude, when you kill that many up and comer deer, there I think there were seven on them on 320 acres there on the north section of me, and you get that many deer tags and buck tags, it don't take long to wipe the population out. Yeah. Um, so it's not my main farm anymore. It's yeah. really not. Matter of fact, I think I hunted down there last year two times. Yeah. And I went down there during the doe season to kill me a doe because I know I could kill me a doe. And uh, it surprised me because the year before that, I hunted it pretty hard with no success and nothing to mature. So that's when I really backed off of it last year. And I went down there to my surprise during the doe holiday season, what I have, but like a 130-inch nine-point three-year-old walk out in front of me and I go, <laughs> where'd he come from? Like, I, I figured he'd be dead by now. Well, that's when I met the new people that were leasing the north section and they're like, no, we're bow only, things like that. So it kind of gives me hope. It gives yeah. me hope that actually it's going to recoup itself. Um, I actually spent first part of muzzle around there this year um, hunting a bedroom set that I had, and I had five different bucks come by and one doe the whole time. And three of them were really nice three-year-old bucks. And it gave me, it, it made me hope that they're, you know, it's on its up and up. Yeah. Hopefully. That's good. So, um, how do you approach your year? I mean, is there, is there a specific way you, you go into every season or postseason? And so I look at, I look at the end of the season as also the beginning of the new season. Cause I look at shed, I look at shed hunting season as the beginning of the next season. Right. So this, the, the, the winter, it's time. your foundation, it's yeah. your target. Yeah. And so, I mean, Oklahoma is a, a bait state, right? You can, yes. you can feed deer, uh, there. Um, how, how does that impact the way that you hunt? Is it necessary? Cause there's, there's certain States where people are like, dude, if I don't bait, I won't see deer. Because every, everybody else around me does. I would tell you that would be exactly the case. But this year, absolutely not. Okay. There was a deal that come out from the Department of Wildlife the other day uh, towards the tail end of rifle where our harvest percentage down like 27%, 30%. We have had a humongous crop of acorn, acorns, acorns, are you going to call them, yep. pecans. They're everywhere. And let me tell you, the number of deer hitting the feeders are very low. They don't have to go anywhere to feed. I mean, um, we get some more moisture hopefully coming in. The slot parsley's maybe we'll start getting them rot so they'll come back on the feeders more, um, which I've noticed in the last week. I've got smaller bucks now batching together some. They are hitting the feeders. They're trying to recoup from the rut. So um, if you're not feeding in most years, I'm not saying you're not going to kill deer but you're not going to pull the number of deer to you because your neighbor's feeding. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, as I kind of told you in the preview of this, like this deer right here um, was a, a suburban deer. Um, he lived in the backyards of cul-de-sacs, living out of feeders, people that ooh and awed him off the back porch all the time, mm -hmm. right? So um, he was used to feeders, eating out of feeders and things like that. So everyone's feeding. So yeah. you, you've got to feed to, to compete. Yeah. And so the, this year would, would have been in just an exception, right? Like a, bu a bumper crop of acorns. That's obviously deer are going to want to go to acorns, right? They, that's one of their favorite foods, I guess. And so, um, but from a strategy standpoint, where does this 
this the, the feeder play into and how does it play into where you set up, how you set up, when you go in? So like on a normal year? Yeah, norm, normal year, yep. So basically for me, kind of like you, my season really starts right now, January, when I start getting ready for sheds or getting an inventory of who, who survived, right? Right. The soldiers of the that made it through the gun season. <laughs> uh, so for me, I kind of have a general idea. For that place, um, I'll go in and I'll feed – you know, this time of year with it being late, I really pound them hard with some protein, some heavy protein feeds and fat, try to get some, you know, meat back on them so they can, as soon as they shed, they can go back to growing. Yep. Um, so, for me, how I approach it, basically, I kind of do an inventory, kind of get an idea. Maybe I'll have one or two cameras on a, on a, on a place. Yep. Kind of get an idea where these deer are coming from. And then, um, I'll also just hang a stand accordingly to it with the wind direction of that um try to get an extra early have good access coming in so you're not really bumping deer yep um but basically it's it's the same as what you would do i say where you're at and you know in iowa except of hunting instead of instead of hunting like a bean field or whatever where their their main food source think of a feeder is their main food source right they get on a pattern coming there every day right so um People say it's cheating or whatever, but I've got places that I can sit there and that feeder will go off for eight or 10 seconds. And before that feeder goes off, probably two, three, five minutes before, deer's age. You can see them way down in the timber. Mm -hmm. That feeder goes off, here they come, yeah. and they'll feed. Now, majority of the time at your does and your younger bucks, most of the time the, buck, the bigger deer don't really, you know, don't really come up there until later. But I'll tell you a known fact, and I know people can prove me wrong on this because I know people have done it. Like these deer right here, I have never killed a big deer, mature deer, off a feeder. Yeah. Never. Yeah. I've killed every one of these big deer off a bait pile. I've killed them off a bait pile or just happened to be on a trail. Um, to me, I think those big deer know at a feeder something bad things happen at those things. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they know that they've known in the past that there is human scent around those places like that. And just that I have not killed big deer off a of feeder. I kill them off piles more than anything. Yeah. I'll build, if I got a place where I got influx of pigs, I'll build a big pen. I'll feed in the pen, keep the pigs off of it and let them jump in and do that. But that's how I've killed deer off bait piles is that no feeders. Okay. So it's not necessarily, um, uh, a bait pile that is there all year round. What you're telling us is that you've figured out a buck's pattern and now all you're doing is going in there, dropping a, a fresh bait pile that is there to entice him to come into a new set. Yes. Okay. Basically for the most part. So like in the summertime, there's places that I feed to specific protein where I have feeders and stuff. Matter of fact, like I told you, I just got a cell cam notification that feeder there is a gravity feeder. I most I switch it over basically when it comes to the fall to corn, mm -hmm. just straight corn. But I mean it's running three sixty five. But when it starts getting this time of year, I switch it to protein, and it runs protein all the way till about September or so, because that protein's too hot on your stomach. Yep. I start switching to the corn. Um, but for the most part, that's kind of what I do. I have places where I, I you know. I go in, I'll stick a bait pile just to get a picture 
of a one known deer to know he made he made it mm-hmm. he's made it to that you know and kind of see where get a inventory of what his antlers look like right um and then i'll leave him alone and i'll feed him on the spot where i want to kill him right so i i do i do things like that gotcha and that seems to be the running theme from just about any anybody in any state that allows baiting that the big dogs they may come in downwind of it but they just don't blatantly walk in a straight line to the feeder unless it's nocturnal yep they crosswind the heck out of it a lot yeah matter of fact there was a episode way back when with you and mark Kenyon. now i forget what y'all who y'all had on but they talked about how uh a big deer will i want to say it was uh can't remember his name anyways a big deer will 90 percent of the time he will when he gets out of his bed if he has a destination in his mind he will crosswind the whole way there mm-hmm. on his way to his destination yep. to make himself safe yep yep that dude that that makes sense because that just happens about every year when i'm walking yeah. you know when i'm watching very rare does a a deer run go straight to the wind and very rare do they have it straight to their back it's always at some kind of an angle for the most part yep. you know the i've seen exceptions i've seen exceptions yeah. but yeah i i get what you're saying um now when it comes to uh the the quality of deer that you that you're looking for every single year does that differ based on the property or are you pretty consistent statewide with it? Um, pretty consistent. So to me, I say this and I kind of, I kind of hypocrite on myself on this, but I, uh, I say bare minimum 150 antler wise, mm-hmm. but really, re- really, uh, I should be going for more of that five-year-old or older. Mm-hmm. That's what I should be going for. Um, because I have passed a one deer um, where this deer was living that was a really nice, probably five-year-old deer, mm-hmm. but he didn't cut the mustard on antler size. Um, so I'd say I keep it pretty consistent. I say antler size 150 or better I try to, I try to go for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd say since 20... 2014 2015 i've pretty much not deviated from that um i think exception would probably be 20 20, probably 2016 was probably the only year rough year didn't kill a deer all year long not even i think i might i might even kill two does and i think i killed a really nice one the very last even the rifle season and um but he was a mainframe a like a upper 130s eight with a big kicker off one side um, and I'd hunted him pretty hard just because I had him for a couple of years and he was an old deer. Yeah. Uh, but he was an age deer. He wasn't necessarily, uh, an antler sized deer for me. Yeah. Dude, I saw this, I saw this buck this year. Uh, I passed him at about, he was probably about 30 yards, dude. I should have shot him. I, I look back and I'm glad I didn't cause I'm happy with how the rest of the season played out, but he was probably that 110 inch deer but 110 120 as an eight point but he was pushing i bet he was pushing 300 pounds on the hoof. oh yeah just an absolute tank of a white tail and uh yeah. 
one of these years uh, I'm going to, and maybe that's what I do with my muzzleloader tag. If I can't find a, you know, a, a giant, you know, old whitetail uh, in the antler department, I'll shoot one of these big bully bucks that basically, you know, basically just takes up space. And then they, when they're gone, then it just, it, you know, there's other opportunity for different bucks to move in. And see, I don't want to sound bad, but see, for me, with me having two kids, yep. that kind of, that kind of helps with that. Cause I got some places where I got some cold deer or some bully deer like yep. that, yep. that I don't personally want to burn my tag on, mm-hmm. that I can put them on and let them take. Like I had my son, he killed a pretty nice one. He had an injury. I think he got hit by a car, I think. Uh, but broke one side off down in his head and, uh, he was, was a nice deer. He was just put an eight point, but, um, he was, a uh, almost, I think it was four and a half is what he was. Right. Um, but he'd been that pretty much that same size last year when he was three and a half. He didn't grow much, but he was a bully. I yeah. mean, a big time bull. Yeah. Um, he shot him with a crossbow. I mean, all I did was grunt at him. I had, what I had was a, was a little six pointer at the feeder and I grunted at him, snort weeds, dude. And I mean, nothing better than that decoy. He thought that little buck was grunting. He comes sidestepping all the way in, and he just he hammered him at like you know twenty three yards the crossbow. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of a kind of kind of uh, our management deal. That's good yeah. for my kids to take those out. So you you also mentioned that this this year, okay, this year the buck that you shot during rifle season was on public, right? No, it's no, private. Private. Now, but you had to travel for that one, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. And so this was a completely different part of the state? Yes. Okay. About five, about five hours away from where I live. Northwest? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, so you're were you up in the panhandle for that one or not? Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. I don't, I'm not trying to get specific details. Like, give me the address of this farm. No. <laughs> so um, North. Do you have to hunt different in the northwest part of the state than you do on your main farms? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, I was, when I started going there, I was mind blown. A deer here, you, you know, you they may travel two or three, four hundred yards from bed to feed, going to a feeder or going to a food plot. Those deer travel miles to go to a milo field. Yeah. And it's almost like almost like cattle going to feed mm-hmm. like there was trails beat to where they every day they they travel there and they're nomadic i mean when you get to a certain part of the time you can see the transition right around right around halloween a little bit before when they, the ag starts coming out your milo and corn everything starts doing it. they transition then there's kind of a you know we everyone talks about october lull i say there's a there's a harvest lull because those deer are having a transition from their crop that they were Basically, he was bedding and feeding in that milo field, right? There, he's going to the ag ditch. He was watering. You know, he didn't have to travel much, right? All summer long, that's what he was doing. Well, um, and then you, then they had to find out where they're going to go next. Well, about that time, the farmers had planted wheat. Or, you know, first of November, that wheat's starting to come up. It's fresh. It's tender shoots. Then they start transitioning to wheat. Okay. Uh it's just it's fair it's very different hunting there for sure um a lot of a lot of time on the glass kind of like when you go to you know nebraska you're you, you spend more time sitting back making a game plan on what you're doing more more than sitting in a spot saying okay they're gonna come by here at least for me that's right. that's how i am 
Right. Okay. And so uh, Northwest, when you more or uh, more, less cover, more wide open spaces. Okay. All right. Uh, Where, what are the deer doing out in those wider environments? You've already talked about them moving longer distances for food, but where are they living? So in there, your patch of trees, mostly are going to be river bottoms, Mm -hmm. the trees that you do have. And really there's not many, many trees there. They call them tamaracks there or salt cedars. You can't have along the river. It's kind of a, to me, the closest thing I can see to it is more like a, a, a mesquite tree, a mesquite tree without the thorns. Yep. Um, there's a lot of those in low places that come, they kind of bed in those or they get down in a deep drainage where a rain is, a drainage ditches with a bunch of sunflowers and they bed in those places. Um, but those deer basically, they live for food. That's, there's nothing there. Their, their whole life revolves around food because the winter's so much harsher there. Um, you mean the exception is obviously the rut, but the does are still doing that. They're still feeding. That's, yeah. that's their main deal is feeding. Yeah. Uh, so my uncle lives in Kansas, a little bit north of you, and he says that the he feels that the Picarut is about a week later than it is in Iowa. When would you say the, the peak rut hits oklahoma so where i live this year it was it was odd it was just kind of trickle trickle rut here it seemed like um but i'd say majority years your halloween time you have your few does that pop you have your big deer that get with those few does. That's where a lot of people start losing some of their big deer or gaining new big deer mm-hmm. because of that. Their does, they've got a few does starting to come in. But your peak rut is going to be where, um, I should say, from November 5th to like the 12th, 13th, that's when they're absolutely going pretty nuts, chasing, cruising pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And then the actual peak breeding time, is right around that first part of rifle, that 15th to the 21st, somewhere right in there, and it goes a few days past that, obviously. Um, but that's kind of your peak breeding times there. So you're, now you're, you're talking further... late into the second week of November. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's when you're peak breeding, I would say. Somewhere around, somewhere around the 15th to the 20th, somewhere around there is your peak few days, I would say, of that. That's not too, that's not too far off from Iowa. I think, no. I think my, my uncle, he always says the best time for me to be out in the woods is like the 15th to the, the end of the month almost. So, so I tell you this year, panhandle wise, um, the picture I sent you of the big mule deer that was killed. Yep. My buddy went up there. They went up there the week before raffle season started on a Friday and they hunted all the way to the fall on Friday day before raffle season hunt, raffle season started. They said on that Friday, they seen basher bucks of, of deer together still. Wow. Young bucks, right? Um, of, of mule deer? Of, no, of white-tailed what? deer okay. and mule deer as well, right? Yeah. That big mule deer was with three does. But um, anyways, by the end of it, in a week's time, by that Friday, they were seeing some deer starting to bump does. Not really chase, but bump yeah. a few does. Um. And I mean, we're talking no. That'd be somewhere around. That's November, like the twentieth, nineteenth, right in there. Yeah. And here, it's going max galore here, right? Yeah. I mean, it's going nuts. Um, and when I got there, 
when I, that last week in a rifle, like the big deer that I killed, he wasn't very far from a doe, but they weren't together. Yeah. Um, I could tell that he had rutted pretty hard. Uh, he probably hadn't been too long off a doe, to be honest. But then on another another property there, just down the road, eight miles, I had a four-year-old deer lock with a doe that Friday. He come, they'd come in every afternoon. He stayed with her for two and a half days. Yeah. Um, so your your uncle may be pretty close to that part of the country. Um, just because I think the buck to doe ratio is a little a little bit off. Yeah. Because you got a ton of does. Mm-hmm. They can't get them all bred. Yeah. So I think it pushes it a little later because of that. Yeah. That that'd be very interesting to see statistics if they ever had anything about the amount of does in in high deer density areas that don't get bred. Because even if you have a high density of deer, you would also think that there'd be a higher density of bucks, which means that the the yearlings and the the two-year-olds are having an opportunity to breed yeah so yes i i would see that you would think that but i almost think i've seen and i've seen it i don't know about with all of them but uh the does are kind of picky you know what i mean yeah. they kind of want to be bred by old boss hog they don't they don't want a young two-year-old breeding yep um I actually watched a video on YouTube today that someone had got a young deer. Uh, he actually killed a doe because he bred her so many times because he didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. He actually killed her because um, wow. of that. So I, I think they kind of, I think they're kind of picky in a way. Yeah. So I got a spot here that's literally two minutes from my house down here where this deer came from, and uh, they're still rutting there. Yeah. They're still retting pretty good. I mean, I, but I have a shit ton of does in yeah. there. Um, the the young bucks are back together, but the big deer are still cruising. I, I, they come through in the afternoons. They'll nibble a little bit on some feed just to give them a little energizer, and they're back to moving. I mean, they've got to scrape this big around in there where they're, they're just working the piss out of it, trying to keep it open. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, my friend, sounds like you got – you got things figured out in Oklahoma. Um, when it, I just, I don't know why this popped into my head. I, I usually ask it, but I forgot to ask it. Why do you love hunting deer so much? Man, I'm going to come back to this with you. Yeah. So I got a question asked to me last year when I was on my elk hunt with my buddy. Yeah. He said, would you rather catch a 15 pound bass or kill a 170 inch deer? At that time, I'd never killed a 170-inch deer. My biggest deer was 160 and, a, and an eighth. Yeah. Okay. I said, I love to catch 15-pound bass just because it's harder. They're harder to come. They're like a unicorn. They're harder to come by. Yeah. Right? Um, I may get a picture of a 170-inch deer almost every year, maybe. Not ne- not necessarily, but close, right? Yep. yep. Um, but I don't kill it. I killed this deer last year. In tenfold, I would rather kill a 170-inch deer over catching, over catching a 15-pound bass. Yep. Just the love of that feeling of the adrenaline, they make you earn it, man. They they make you freaking earn it. They make you blood, sweat, and tears. you got to live it to be able to kill them. Yep. Yep. Um, and, I, and I think that's why I love it so much. I love the energy and the work I put into it. And, of course, everyone wants to be successful, and that's the most rewarding part of it. Yeah. But I like it that I can integrate my kids, my wife, my friends into it with me. 
It's not just a solo thing. Yep. And I love taking other people to go kill their first deer. Um, I like it. I like that. I just, I like deer hunting just the way. And I provide for my family, you know? Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, I tell you what, that's same here. (laughs) Well, first off, I will say this where I like going fishing. Don't get me wrong. I love catching big fish, big bass, but you could drop that down. Would you rather catch a 15 pound bass or shoot a 150 inch whitetail, <laughs> uh, dude. I, I, or shit, even lower than that 145, dude. I, I'd rather shoot the, that deer than a, catch a, a fish of that caliber any day of the week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I wish it's that feeling they give you. Yeah, I wish I could catch a Boone and Crockett deer. Like, like here's the thing I like about fishing: catch a big fish, throw it back. Next time you catch it, it could be bigger. I wish I could shoot a deer somehow get the picture taken with it and you know eat, i don't know get the meat off of it but then throw it back and then yeah. shoot it again next year right yeah. unfortunately it doesn't work that way with bow hunting yeah. so no unfortunately yep well man i really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on the podcast and bs with us about you know where you hunt how you hunt oklahoma all that good stuff and uh dude hopefully someday i can get out there and uh, it's oklahoma is definitely on my list of places to come and visit i'd love for you to come man i got plenty of places for you to come hunt and, <laughs> uh i got plenty of plenty of places i can put you on one so hey i appreciate that thank you very much have a good rest of your day man you too man see ya all right Oh. Yeah, there you go. Can you hear me? All right. Yeah. And there you have it. Episode whatever in the book. I don't even know what number this is. It's like 800. Uh, my goal is by is to have a thousand episodes by this summer, and I want to do I want to do something big for my 1,000th episode, and so. I really appreciate each and every one of you. I want to. I appreciate Tethered Wasp, Vortex, Code Blue, Woodman's Pal, Huntworth. Um, if you want to support me, go support these companies uh, because I advertise for them. I've created relationships for them. They have all have awesome products, and uh, I'd appreciate it if you would go check that out. Outside of that, man, good vibes, right? Good vibes in, good vibes out, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you.